Hello and welcome to the British Empire podcast. I'm your host, Chris Nichols, and together with my co-host, J.D. Collins, we celebrate the weird and wonderful world of Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, the sports centre ran by nightmare boss Gordon Brittus, who means well but brings chaos into the lives of his staff, customers and long-suffering wife, Helen. Each episode looks at an episode, so we dissect and discuss. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to watch the episode we're discussing first, and that way you'll have an excellent time. In this episode, we're discussing Series 2, Episode 2, Temple of the Body. Thank you once again for joining us, listeners, as we continue our analysis and celebration of the British Empire. I'm just glad that I've got my internet running now because it's been an absolute nightmare. You know, I've had... I've got three, I've got, I've had about four or five routers now and it's just been an absolute disaster. They keep sending me routers. I've had engineers come out and then another engineer come out. It's been chaos, but I'm finally up and running internet with my new place. Well, imagine if Mr. Brittis was the one organising it. I'm sure it would, he would have the best intentions, but then it would be even more disastrous than what you've already had so far. Yeah. I mean, if Gordon was organising, I'd probably get an electric shock, let's be honest. There'll be some electrocution at some point down the line. But yeah, I'm just glad to be up and running now because I'm I'm sick of doing battle with the big internet companies. (laughs) How's your week been? Yeah, really well. Um, I've recorded a new episode of the 2.4 Children podcast. Nice. Um, I've I've done another interview for the book with a crew member. And I think it's it's the, the book's coming together quite nicely. And just very excited for future creative projects and to continue with the British podcast as well. I'm going to say I'm very excited to read the 2.4 Children book that John's working on. I can't wait because um, I, I love that. You know, I'm not a big reader, but the one thing I do like to read is about sitcoms. You know, I finished the Keeping Up Appearances book by Harold Snowd in like two nights. And uh, I think your book will be the same, John, once it's out. <laughs> Thank you. If I, I I sort of look to those books and the Richard Webber one from the Grey book as the kind of level of, of quality that I want to try and reach. Yeah, and I'm sure it will be. Sure it will be, or even more. <laughs> ah, thank you. And uh, what was the um, 2.4 Children um, episode that you recorded recently for the podcast, for the 2.4 Children podcast? What was that about? Oh, so it was about the film and TV parodies within the series. Um, so I got my guest Forrest, who's also a British Empire fan. And we just talk, went through all the film and TV references and parodies within the episodes, how they sort of differentiate between each other, how some are full-blown parodies, some of them are little moments which are embedded in the, the background of the world of the series. Yeah. And then the next one which i'm going to be putting out soon i mean these episodes have probably been out way <laughs> before now but the next yeah. one i'm going to put out is about comparing 2.4 children and my family because a lot of people think they um very much come from the same how to describe it i was gonna say the same womb but that's probably a bit gross <laughs> but they they're think they cut from the same cloth <laughs> and they're not yes i yeah. uh, think they're cut from the same cloth and, and they're very much different so I'm, I'm very excited about that one and so yeah, just it's been it's nice to do. I have a thing for 1991 sitcoms, having done podcasts on sitcoms yeah. that came out in 1991. Must be yeah. meant to be. It's a magical time, the 90s for sitcoms, isn't it? As we know. But uh, and yes, listeners, you can download Don't Slam Your Podcast, which is the 2.4 Children podcast available from wherever you get your podcasts. Nice endorsement there. <laughs> as always, as always. Have you been watching any kind of sitcoms in the last week, John? Anything in particular recently that's um, that stuck out, or you've been rewatching, or no sitcoms at the moment? I was, I've been watching The Last of Us, some a modern um, drama. I want to see that. Drama. Yeah, very, very good. And the new series of Inside Number Nine just finished. Fantastic, and wasn't it good? Fantastic. 
Oh, brilliant. I mean, for an eighth series of a series yeah. of a anthology series, it's kind of rema- maintained that consistency. One final one's coming next year, which is exciting. And then we, and then I think that will be them done. But as a new sitcom that's just starting on ITV, I think it's called, um, Changing Ends, I think it is. Right. It's an Alan Carl sitcom about, oh. it's, ba- it's basically also back off about him as a little boy. And his dad was a football referee for a local, I think for like a, a kid's football team. <laughs> and I mean, Alan Carvey probably didn't like football, but I think it's just about his childhood. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I think it starts quite soon. So that's new sitcom coming. I really like Alan Carvey. Yeah, I used to watch him on the Friday Night Project. And he was so funny on that. I think one yeah, of my favourite sitcoms, one of my favourite comedians at the moment is Phil Wang and Joe, John Lysett. Oh, Joe Lysett, sorry. Yeah, I just love them two at the moment. <laughs> yeah, very, they're good. They're brilliant, but um, but yeah, we will we will get cracking then. So we're on to series two, episode two. It's Temple of the Body, and it was first broadcast on January the 9th, nineteen ninety two, at eight thirty p.m. Now the Radio Times synopsis at the time read a new series of the comedy written by Richard Fagan and Andrew Norris, starring Chris Barry. Temple of the Body, Leisure Centre Manager Gordon Brutus is a shocked man. He has found an item of ladies' foundation wear behind his office sofa, put two and two together, and determined to catch the offenders. Carol, the homeless receptionist, is pregnant again, with only dim memories of a leopard skin suit on New Year's Eve. She's keeping her first child in the drawer under the reception desk, and now sets up home in a store cupboard. So yeah, I do find these Radio Times entries a bit questionable sometimes, John, don't you? I do. That was a longer one than than previously. I think that must have been on the TV choice page because yeah. it's on, when they use when they're on the the page with all the channels and the the, the schedule for the day. They're obviously quite short um, premises, but that was a long one. Maybe because they have the page which is choices of the day, and they sometimes yeah. have a longer description. I think my objection to that description is the fact that they gave away the twist about Carol. Yeah, yeah you see um, this a lot, don't you? And that in trailers and stuff, that's bad for it with films. Like sometimes you see trailers for films, you're thinking, "Don't show me all this. You've ruined everything." Yeah, you've seen the ending some in some film trailers. Yeah, it is. I thought, I don't know, sometimes these Radio Times entries, which were obviously in the Radio Times issues at the time when it was first broadcast, I do find them a bit questionable. It's like, it's strange. It's a strange way to start an actual synopsis. The Leisure Centre Manager Gordon Brittis is a shocked man. And I guess it's kind of, you get the sense that somebody's writing for it that doesn't really know the show that well. I guess for us, seven series on, we kind of know the characters inside and out. But I guess at this point, mm. they've only got six episodes to go on, maybe seven. And I'm guessing they might not have even seen all those. So you can kind of get that from the synopsis, I think. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I agree. In a way, though, it might show how quickly the public took to the show and took to the yeah. characters and the whole concept. So, and I think it's always important, I think, when you're promoting a series to mo- promote it, even if it's early in a series run. Yeah as something more established just be i think it's like the writer's very weird narrative music but sally wainwright who wrote the happy valley said that she writes her first episodes as if it's the third episode on oh, uh, right. established characters and i think that in a way if you believe in a project and if you, if the bbc were believing in the the appeal of british and and the popularity of it then it was one that they could very easily establish as something that was a mainstay and the yeah. way they promoted it as well as being British is back and Carol. And, you know, I think it was, I, I think that description was one of the better ones of the ones, the Radio Times descriptions that we've read out so far. Yeah, it's certainly longer, isn't it? And it's just, it's always great just to see the British Empire in a prime time slot, 8.30. Straight before it, which was common of series one as well. They also had an episode of Last of the Summer Wine that was 
um, re- a rerun of Last of the Summer Wine with uh, with Foggy in it. So uh, any Last of the Summer Wine fans would have got a great night that Thursday night in 1992 of Last of the Small Wine followed by the British Empire. So lucky devils, lucky devils. Yeah, I'm envious of the schedules then. Oh yeah, it was just such a, I think, I bet back then people took it for granted, you know, that how much gold there was in terms of studio sitcoms, whereas now there's a somewhat drought, but, um, but yeah, we have them all on DVDs and obviously Britbox, so it's not too bad. No, we can, we can enjoy the reruns. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, what must it have been like back then? Like, if you can't buy it on DVD or VHS, you have to wait a year to see an episode of The British Empire. I mean, that sounds like sounds like hell to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just shows the the different uh, generation and how much things have changed with not only did we have the DVD box set phenomenon of the yeah. 2000s and then 2010s, the streaming, and now it, DVDs are still around and people like buying physical media, but still like streaming as well. Yeah. So it's... It's just there's nowhere else left for it to go, but yeah, it's it's an interesting um, evolution. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad DVDs are still out there because I feel like that's where you get the extras from, don't you? The outtakes and the extras and stuff. Like when you stream, I don't always feel like you get those extras, do you? Like included, you have to buy a film from Amazon or something. Rarely, yeah, and I feel it's such a it's such a grand shame that. Yeah, it's just a shame that you can't buy something off Amazon Prime or a digital copy and still have those extras. Because with DVDs, that's it's a great loss, really. Because I, I love outtakes and trivia and stuff from DVDs, and w- w- one of the best things of a DVD is the special features, like the commentaries and stuff. And I, I always feel they're sorely missed in, in you know, the streaming age. To be honest, oh, I agree. You know, uh, some DVDs I've got where I've seen the special features more than I've seen the, the film or TV show. Yeah, I love it. I love, I'm, I'm just a big nerd, really. That's what it is. Oh, aren't we all? It's a good thing to be. It is. It's cool now, isn't it? Nerds are cool now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so with this episode, we open the episode in reception and there's Britus, Tim and Gavin all making their way to the restroom for the staff meeting. And Carol is chatting to Laura and we find out very quickly, don't we, John, that Carol is in fact pregnant once again. Yes, I think well, I like the way that uh, she's keeps being sick in a bucket behind the yeah. the desk. It's almost like, you imagine the smell, be horrendous. Oh God, I hate, I hate the look of sick. I hate the smell of sick. It's just, it's the worst, isn't it? it it's very grim. I like the fact that Laura's trying to convince her to tell Britus, um, you know, saying, you know, the, the morning sickness, maternity clothes, he'll, even he'll notice soon. And I like the fact that you're not the first unmarried mother, Carol. He'll understand. It's, it's in that time when, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and probably in the 80s, there was the sort of, uh, disc- it was considered a disgrace if you were a single mother or yeah. even having a child out of wedlock. So, and I think it's interesting because I think it's almost making out that Britus is quite old fashioned. And in fact, mm-hmm. there's a few things he say later on, which kind of enhance that theory. Yeah, it's quite an old-fashioned character, Gordon Britis, when it comes to the values, especially around sex and stuff, is very, very old-fashioned, isn't he? Yeah, I think what's interesting when he talks about, in the meeting we were mentioning about the new timetable, late-night sessions, he wants that he doesn't want male staff working with female staff anymore, and that any single women are going to be chaperoned by a male colleague. <laughs> and I, I, do you know what? I, I read something recently about uh, Walt Disney um, at the Disney Studios, he would ha- he would have a, a a letter go around to all the women saying you know a lot of the men they're all married you know stay away from them and I'm thinking the the men are pro- even if they're married men they're probably just as likely to to yeah. go after some of the single women um it's it, I'm afraid it works sometimes works both ways um oh yeah but it's really interesting but it is very old fashioned the way he's saying that they're going to be chaperoned it's almost like they they need to be looked after 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I, love, I love how he says, the human body is a temple. And once we corrupt that temple by not giving it proper respect, we downgrade our entire purpose of being here. Need I say more? Big words and big phrases to describe, you know, using analogies like temple of the body. Um, is and the fact that he feels that the function of the center is to help people maintain the temples of the body. Some people have used it for other purposes. And like the way Jesus says, the center or the temples. The fact that Laura says he thinks the staff have used it in to worship in other people's, in each other's temples. <laughs> you know, and then he says, can we agree that no female will be unaccompanied in the center after dark? And again, because he, he's kind of tactless as well as thinking he's very moral. Carol points out that um, she's alone on the front desk um, and she wasn't included in the changes. And then he's like, oh no, whatever hanky pie is going on, it'll be with a much younger and more attractive woman. And I love the way that Harriet Thought plays it again of just her facial expressions or just her face drops when yeah. she when he says that because it's so blunt and cruel. It's a great line, isn't it? And again, Gordon Brits can get away with these lines because we always know that he, he means well. I think that's what makes it even funnier because we know he means well, but he's just so blunt and just not picking up on the fact that it's what he said to Carol's quite hurtful, but it's hilarious at the same time. Yeah. And then when Laura asks if he really thinks there's hanky panky going on in the start in the center, um, Gordon says he found, uh, down the sofa in the off, in his office, um, some knickers. He said, can anyone tell me who these belong to? And then I like when Laura says, you could try them on or you could make, take them around everyone, see who they fitted in, whoever it was could marry the prince. It's a great bit of dialogue from uh, Julius St. John there, isn't it? Yeah, because she's very, very dry about it. And it almost because she delivers it in such a matter of fact way in the sort of theory, in the same way that Laura delivers everything very serious, but, but so dry witted. You have to take a minute to find that she's being funny. Yeah. And that's what I like about Laura as a character, because obviously you've got a lot of heightened characters like Carol and Colin and a lot of what they deliver in terms of comedy is very heightened and exaggerated. So it's nice to get that contrast of a bit of dry humor there mixed in with the with the mania, really it kind of balances things out quite nicely. Yeah, because in other sitcoms, someone like Laura could be a massive drip, um, yeah. you know, someone who's the sort of the um, what do we call it? The the voice of reason character like yeah. for example i mean any listeners if i've got this wrong please email in but when you have in faulty towers polly who i've always thought laura is like the polly of the uh, whitby newtown leisure center i don't really remember any funny lines for polly not really I remember moments for Manuel and and yeah. uh, Sybil and Basil and other the major, but Polly, I don't really. I remember a character Connie Booth's brilliant, but I don't remember her being funny in it. Yeah, I can remember a couple of lines from Polly, but not an awful lot. You know, when mm. they're when they're, I think Basil or Sybil's asking about where the flowers are, and she says they're being ironed. <laughs> So there's a couple of lines, but yeah, there isn't, she isn't really, you know, she doesn't really say, she hasn't got the dry wit of Laura, I don't think, has she? No. Um, and I think if you're comparing Polly and obviously Laura, I think Polly is a bit more two-dimensional two uh, than Laura. I think Laura's got a lot more to her in terms of, she's much more of a fleshed out character, whereas Polly is more of a foil. She's somebody who, again, is an ally of Basil, like Laura is an ally of Britus, but Polly's a lot more two-dimensional, I think. Yeah, Laura, we learn more about Laura and we, and we Laura gets her own storylines. Yeah. Yeah. Moving forward. And, it's great and then with Britis, I love the way he says, if this gets out, our centre becomes known as a knocking shop. Yeah. And he's scared of losing the families. Yeah. The, the whole family values thing. That, that's a phrase that 
lots of people like to use all the time when it comes to morals and family values and I mean, obviously, I think w what's interesting is what I think Brits is talking about is probably right. You know, there has to be professional standards in a public place like that, especially among staff members. But I always do find the family, in fact, politicians say all the time about family values. It's weird because sometimes you think, obviously, they're referring to like sex and sexual activities. Like, well, most families are based on sexual activity. That's what exactly. happens. That's how, yeah. that's how we're all made, whether we like it or not. I, do, I always find it very funny because it's, uh, as I say, I do agree with Britis having the standards that he has. I just always find the the phrase and, and excuse of family values quite amusing, to be honest. Don't know why. Yeah, it is. I, lo I love it when the writers do kind of play around with kind of sex and Gordon Britis because it's just very, very funny because it's like you see how old fashioned he is. And oh, there's a there's the great episode in series four when he finds the the dirty magazine and the whole sex thing comes up, comes up again. And it's just so like beautifully done and beautifully written and acted. And yeah, Chris Barry is just great with it. And obviously what's not helping in the family values is uh, is uh, Julie, who went topless to save a dog on boat race Saturday. The newspaper, which is on the Whitbury Chronicle, says gym yes. girl in topless drama. And yeah. it builds up this idea of scandal at the, at the center, center. So Gorn's trying to suppress that, but then it builds up to what comes to the reveal later on. And, and how he goes about it is all very suspect. And I think, I think Julie is a character. She has a lot more to do than Angie. I think Angie was very much just the receptionist, whereas Julie, I think the writers seem to know what to do with Julie Moore. They've got more things to play around with the character. And this episode demonstrates that straight away. You, know, you couldn't really have this same plot, I guess, with Angie's character. You know, it wouldn't have worked if Angie was taking her clothes off because she feels like a different character, doesn't she? And I think, you know, there's just a lot more that they can do with Julie as a character. And she just fits in a, a lot better, I think. And she's played by um, Judy Flynn. And she would have been 29 years old in 1992. I actually thought she was younger, to be honest. But uh, yeah, 29... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, same. I would have thought that. I think that, that she's kind of an older sort of cat. I mean, she's obviously 29 and not old. I'm, God, I'm 28. Um, but I think that, that, that she is a bit more, she's a bit older than Angie was. And I think that she's a character who's got a bit more sort of experience, even though Angie w could talk back. Yeah. Judith's just got more of that. I mean, I think you develop more lip when you go, as you get older, as I'm finding more, myself maybe a bit more of a gob. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and she was in Dinner Ladies, wasn't she? Is that right, John? She was, I've yes. I've seen Dinner Ladies. Oh, it's wonderful. She's, um, she has a good, she has, I don't think she has, she's not got a main part in that. Yeah. But, but very memorable, very memorable, particularly a particular good scene with her in. And so what's really good is when Colin decides that Chris <laughs> is right. And he then does this speech, which is just, <laughs> so kind of it's almost like he's read it from an erotic novel or something it, it starts with a few drinks maybe a cup of tea perhaps well, it wasn't a cup of tea but yeah whatever he said it's very very funny <laughs> yeah he's like people can get carried away they can just be talking very friendly they can have a lot in common and they get closer and closer they have a few drinks because it's her birthday perhaps yeah that's it they stretch out on a gym mat just to relax and before you know it the court says he's making him pay £7.30 an hour a month for the next 18 years maintenance. I mean, just, it's very funny. And he just, and he's like, for example. And yeah, I love that, for like, example. Mm, is that something, is, are you talking from experience there, Colin, maybe? <laughs> Definitely an insight into his character, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's that, that whole idea of the of British comedy casual Brits in general being um, undersexed almost. 
because yeah. he's playing that. He's almost talking. He's almost like a fantasy of his potentially. Um, probably it's like the cat or like a bit of a carry on sort of thing. Um, and then we move from the staff room into Julie's office, and we've got Laura, Carol, and Julie there. They need Julie's help because Carol got pregnant. We've it's revealed at Julie's New Year's Eve party, so they basically need to find out which man has impregnated Carol. <laughs> yeah, it's a great it's a great a, a bit of um, detective work here. The way they work out everything that happened. So she's about ten p.m. She went up where the coats were and she wanted to just rest for a bit. Turned off the lights and slept, and uh, and because she says that she doesn't have any beds because the bailiffs took them and the tiger costume was getting warm um so while she was asleep she dreamt that she was a tiger trying to save the tropical rainforest and she woke up and someone gave this roar that's when he came in and he, um he roared back um he came in it was dark he roared back that was the outfit this wonderful man i have no idea who he is and then she didn't recognize the roar um and and apparently um he just said he at the end he just said Woo! And um, slapped her on the bottom, and he said he see her downstairs. And then when they <laughs> went downstairs, she waited for hours. Nobody came. Uh, and like the way she's like, it was that it was that tiger costume. I know I should have gone as a llama. <laughs> I know the perils of fancy dress, eh? In the dark and alcohol, it's not a good mix, is it? Laura asks Julie if she can make a list of the men at the party to find out who was well, in touch with them finally was and she's like well it, it may be um, not going to be easy you know we had 30 gate crashes from the rugby club and then cash like Aah. and so we go to the like um, the corridor when there's pin a pin board Colin appears I, I just like um, how Colin always finds himself the one who has to deal with Britus's big ideas and then gets in trouble yeah. for them yeah this episode is a great example of that and we see Britus obviously putting up extra posters in the corridor. Now, I made a note of what some of these said. The first one says, Whitby Leisure Centre, no spitting, which I thought was quite amusing. Uh, Whitby Leisure Centre, no petting. I couldn't quite make out what the others said. I don't know if you could, John, but I couldn't quite see what they said. Yeah, I I, I struggled uh, with yeah. the others, but the, those are the others I, I noticed as well. Yeah, I love the old school like posters. Like they're not, you can tell they're not done on a computer. They're like kind of handwritten on those old school coloured pieces of card, just uh, nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, another one it says, "Why do I ask the public to observe standards of modesty when my staff forget to button their flies?" Um, and then Carlin says, "I had to put this rather large rhubarb pul pul poultice on a boil. It's burst the zip." Yeah, I love that. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? And I love how Britus describes as Colin arrives and the pal the Palace of Westminster is open. That's how he describes the, the broken fly on his uh, trousers. He asks if he's got a spare um, and he's asked because some of the juice has leaked out. Oh, God, that's disgusting, isn't it? He's like, yeah, you can't go around like that. You just have to borrow a pair of my bar a pair of tims yeah it's just yeah i think he's much more i think colin is much more disgusting in this series compared to series one i think the up is disgustingness especially with that great that that horrible brown cardigan because that's that becomes so synonymous with his character i think and it's the yeah. first time it's introduced in this series and it's just a perfect addition from the wardrobe department it just that cardigan is made for colin and you know he's here boils his, his zips undone he's just a mess isn't he bless him yeah and, and many mentions that the press wants a photo of Julie, preferably in her underwear, coming out of the of the pool or wet or on the trampoline, wet, wet, wetted down. You know, it's um, yeah, it's it, it, it's sort of typical of nineties press, very sleazy um, public press. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the press in this episode are so sleazy, aren't they? Um, which which we which we'll see uh, very very soon when they actually come into 
the actual scenes of the of the center and then We've got Britus and Colin walking down the corridor and they spot some clothes underneath the cupboard door, which is the resource room, apparently. And uh, open it, Britus reveals what looks like a love nest. There's a, 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 a you know, fancy nighty, there's a bed, there's all this kind of stuff. And it finally clicks that this is where the hanky-panky is happening, um, the bed, the night is. And he finds what happens to Peer, Gavin's hat. I wonder why, because Gavin's written on the front of it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, th these hats are interesting because I don't think you see them after series two, do you? I'm sure this series one, series two, these hats where they have the names printed on them, which is, I guess, I guess in series one, that's very much a device that is used where you can find out what each of the characters are called because there's so mm. many characters in a leisure centre because there's loads of staff. So it makes sense. But I think this is the first time the hat's used in quite a clever way here because it becomes quite a central plot device, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's and it makes sense as well, the fact that the staff would probably wear hats for the customers to know their name yeah um and so it just it works really well i wonder if they still have the hats anybody it'd be interesting to know if the cast still own these hats <laughs> yeah all the jumpers yeah although i do know um, russell porter who played tim he's still got the macho max t-shirt from series seven uh, because he wore that oh, when they did the, the the youtube reunion and he was wearing that then so yeah it's uh if, if you haven't seen it uh, listeners, check out the YouTube reunion where the British cast um, do a reading of Playing With Fire from Series 4. It's uh, it's great. I, I love that. It's brilliant. And then we go to the office, don't we, John? Yes. And so Helen is looking around for something in the sofas. Um, uh, she thought she left a pair of gloves down the settee, but they're not there. You know, so I think the audience sort of recognised that that was probably her with the underwear. And they meant she's there because to tell Gordon that the marriage guidance appointment has been changed the following day. Um, and then when Gordon comes in, she wants to speak to him and he mentions that he's too busy. And so he says, you know, go get a donut and I'll join you later. Sort of typical, go and get a coffee and a donut. Yeah, it becomes like a, more of a catchphrase, that doesn't it? Go and get a coffee and a donut. We go into the office and then Colin now has a, it's one of those spike things, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like something from a horror film, doesn't it? I mean, there's a drill and there's like a it's like a giant spike, isn't it? To kind of drill a hole in the floor because obviously Britus wants to kind of drill a hole above the cupboard so he can spy and see, you know, who's doing the hanky-panky with Gavin. But uh, it doesn't go to plan, does it, as always, with where Britus is concerned? No, it's 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 very, um, <clears throat> very questionable what he does here. I mean, it's like what happened in the previous series when he asked Colin to go into the locker. Yeah. I yes, mean, it is. Yeah. It's just so dodgy and so immoral. Yeah. And whatever's going on, you don't spy on people, certainly not in changing rooms. Yeah. This is one of those things where they, they, they get away with it because it's Gordon Britt behind it, because we know he means well, because we know he's so old fashioned, because, you know, he's wanting to catch somebody rather than perv on them. I think if it was any other character, you couldn't do it. Or in yeah. many of the sitcoms, it wouldn't work or stand up. But because we kind of know that it comes from a good place, that's a, that's the important thing about Gordon Brutus. Everything he does comes from a good place. And that's what either makes it funny or makes it likable or both. Yeah, definitely. I think he, he just tends to say, it's like what Helen said in the last series, when he tries to solve a problem, he creates more problems. Yeah, that's exactly what happens here. He does start drilling and then we go to the reception, don't we, where Carol's phoning around all the men. With phone on one hand. Eating yeah. from an a, a spoon from a, a spoon and from an enormous tin. I was going to say, like a bucket of beans. How big is that baked bean can? I mean, that is it's huge, isn't it? <laughs> it is literally a paint can. 
Yeah, so it's enormous. And I just would love there to be a Heinz version of that now. I couldn't yeah. imagine it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know the sizes of baked bean cans in the 1990s, but I'm pretty sure in supermarkets, they wouldn't be that big. Jordan sees Tim. Um, Tim says, I'll give Garen the hat. Um, and then another way, Brit's like, you know something about this hat, do you? I love um, this. I love this. And Tim says, his name is coming off and asked one of the girls to sew it on. Um, and then he says, I quick word, ask for a quick word. And then back to Carol on the desk when she says, can I speak to Chris? I have no idea. I just know he's a prop forward. <laughs> and that's a rugby term, isn't it? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only just got that joke, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he goes into the staff room with Tim, um, he mentions that, you know, he repeats saying, oh, you say a girl sewed the name on this hat, Tim. Uh, Asks which girl it is. You think Gavin's, Gavin's chasing girls? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't think so. Um, and then he's like, the woman who had this hat did more for Gavin than sew his name back on. What he does at home is this affair, but when it's done in my centre, and then we're like, um, Tim's like, he does it in the centre. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love this scene because it's more paranoid Tim and just... Jealous, paranoid Tim is my favourite type of Tim. It's just pure comedy gold every time. And Russell Porter plays that paranoia just so perfectly. Oh, oh absolutely. And again, it, it builds up the dynamic of the relationship, as we've seen in previous one, that Tim yeah. is the very sensitive one. And then Gavin's always having to keep up with his uh, neuro, neuro, neurotic Yeah, it's paranoia. That's why the dynamic works so well, because Tim and Gavin are so contrasting. Gavin mm. is so kind and gentle, and Tim is just so jealous. I mean, no wonder Gavin smokes. I mean, if, if I was going out with Tim, I'd do exactly the same. I'd smoke as well, to be honest. Yeah, I think that you need some kind of uh, stress relief. Yeah, and uh, they are such, I mean, I know I'm biased, but they're the best gay couple on TV, in my opinion, Tim and Gavin. They're just I fantastic. Would, I, would I just want to read out... A comment that, that someone put um obviously i won't reveal who it is but i just thought it was really interesting this and, and quite significant um the person wrote you and tim marrett tim marrett played tim marrett basically played gavin so tim marrett is the person who played gavin but this person said you and tim marrett were the first gay couple i ever saw on tv without being gay as the joke you looked just like my mum's friends and um, you were loving Tim's jealousy aside, and was a jealous, jealous Tim aside, positive representation of a long-term gay couple. And also British Empire has accompanied me through my hard and scary times in life. So thank you all. And I thought that was quite wow. significant because it just shows that they're not just characters. You know, it can have a significant positive impact on people's lives, you know, when a, a gay couple like this are portrayed in the right way. Because obviously in the 90s, I think a gay couple would be underrepresented on TV. And I think it's nice to see characters that weren't gay caricatures. It's nice to see um, characters that are real and grounded in their relationship. And obviously, so a lot of people, you know, in the nineties who perhaps struggled coming out to people, I think something like this can really actually help them in, in the personal life. hundred percent, especially something that was on at half eight. Yeah. On a weeknight. I mean, I still can't believe they did it, that, that yeah. they got a, a way to do it. And then, and you think, in a different era, in a, in, with a, a certain reaction, they might have tried to tone those characters down and their relationship over the as the series progressed, or even maybe even get rid of them. But actually, no, they're their mainstayers, and it's obvious that they're a couple throughout the whole series. And that, that's a lovely comment. It's no surprise, though. It, it, yeah. No surprise that 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 had they had a huge impact. Um, yeah, and even so even lovely. 
even in series six and seven, you know, I think throughout all seven series, they managed to keep this relationship believable and grounded. And I think that is a strong element of the show that, that makes it, you know, timeless in a way. And the fact it hasn't dated is because of the way of this portrayal that's been portrayed so perfectly. I completely agree. I think now this is pre queerest folk, which was the kind of a watershed moment. Yeah. This, the cat, the fact that these were prime time characters. And I don't think there was lots of back. There's certainly from the media. I can't see that there was massive backlash compared to some other, um, characters and shows. So it's really positive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think it helps, like I say, you know, it helped breaking down stigma. It just helped that representation that was, you know, was and is still very, very important as well. So 100%. Yeah, another, another make, another, another thing that makes the show modern as well, which is, which is good. And, um, definitely. yeah. And then we go to Britta's. Well, Britus comes out to Carol, who is vomiting, still vomiting in the buckets, clearly got sickness from uh, the pregnancy, and he's wanting to uh, send her home, basically, isn't he? I love the fact that just the way her physical comedy, how it thought up in, the, in everything she does is brilliant. The fact that we start on the desk with her and she's not there, and as soon as she just pops up from the desk, she just grabs her face, how could I help? And then just goes back to being sick on, on the ground and then just disappears again. Uh, I like the way that Brita says, Carol, is that really the way we greet the public? And, um, you know, how can we offer to help people when being sick in a bucket? And then, you know, he's, he's showing a different side to him now, actually. Bear in mind, he's been so tactless with her and be previous series and in earlier in this episode. Now he's saying, you know, what kind of employer would I be if I didn't let you go home yeah. and stay here and vomit all day? What I notice as well is just how colourful Carol's, you know, costumes are. You know, everybody else is dressed in like their uniform, Whitby uniform and stuff. Carol has always got something on that's just quite extravagant or different. She stands out, doesn't she? Like the wardrobe department clearly made a conscious decision with Carol to make her stand out. And I think the episode later on in this series where she's playing the piano, she has this spotty outfit. And it's just, they had a lot of fun with her wardrobe, didn't they, in this series? <laughs> Definitely. Well, she's a very colourful character, so it's something that it matches her her character. Clothes get across how a character is, not just how they say things or what they say, but how they dress is so important. You know, if you think of some of the characters, how Britus is dressed in a blazer, if you think mm. of the characters like Richie and Eddie and how they have the trousers pulled right up to the nipples. And the, and the hairstyle as well. Like I was just, it just made me think of Laura. Like her hair's very precise and, and like she's got that, it's almost like authoritative with her look and, and everything because she is obviously the the voice of reason um and you know with colin's hair being messy and helen has um i mean some of helen's clothes look kind of very mumsy i think that's the way i could describe helen's clothes she's got that mumsy look of costuming yeah they change a lot of helen's clothes don't they sometimes it's jeans sometimes you've got what i consider to be an old-fashioned dress and in this episode she's got like a hair in like a hair band which you don't see that often really no. do you not in like later seasons anyway. And then we go to the office. Colin is drilling a hole with his massive spike to try and um, into the cupboard. But he's accidentally gets the girls changing rooms, which is alarming the women underneath him. It, it, it builds up the, again, it goes back to what we we're saying before when Colin was put in the locker room. I mean, just spying on people in lockers really dodgy when it's staff, when it's anybody. But when it's obviously the women's change room, it's just, oh, um, just the implications and i think it's because he's clueless to the fact that it's completely wrong 
yeah, that's it. Anyone else who's doing it knowingly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. But because Colin is doing it so innocently, of course, if it was like a plot today in 2023, it'd be very different because you just get CCTV cameras, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have yeah. to drill holes to spy on people. I like the fact that there's a bit of a miscommunication because of the fact that Gordon um, looks down with his eye um, through the hole and then says, I'm sorry, ladies, simple misunderstanding, I'm afraid. It's surveillance. Have a nice day. Yeah. Um, and then they say, what do you say? He's keeping us under surveillance. But it's, I think they're not, they don't know the full details of what's going on and drilling a hole somewhere else where it's in the showers this time. I mean, it couldn't just be in the worst of places to, to be drilling a hole. I'm going to go and get a broomstick. And I, I love all, I love all the nineties clothes they wear as well. Yeah. Like nineties gym clothes, which we spoke about on previous episodes, but there, there's a very particular nineties sort of fitness look, isn't they? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. The Jane Fonda workout sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all different now. It's very, yeah, it's, it's much skimpier these days than <laughs> what they were wearing. And some of the things that they wear, like, you think, God, you've been boiling in that. And I, I like they said, these plans have been reversed in the photocopier. So clearly <laughs> they think where they, they, they've got, they've completely misjudged the architecture of the building now because of yeah. where they think the boiler room is, but actually where it is or where the, 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 the store cupboard is. Yeah. And I love it. I love it when Colin is, is like, is it looking through the hole or something? And he gets his, his eye poked out. Like they poke a broomstick handle through, through the hole in the floor and it hits Colin banging the eye. Oh, I mean, that, it would, that, you just, you could just hear the thud and it's just so, oh, ouch. It's quite bottom, that, isn't it? That scene, that sound and look, it's very, very bottom. Yeah. And I mean, bear in mind, this is the guy who fell out of a locker 15 feet in the air. I mean, he'd broken all the bones, and but in the eye, I don't know, it's just something about the idea of being hit in the eyes that just sounds horrible. Yeah, anything anything with eyes is really painful to watch, isn't it? It's like oh, yeah. like an Evil Dead when they push the thumbs into the zombie's eye and it all spews Ooh. out. It's just oh, horrible, horrible. And we learn from Britus that uh, the cupboard where this illicit love affair's allegedly happening is under the flat roof extension. Ooh, we can't drill through that. So yeah, there's a there's a problem. I just love the, every opportunity for the humour. It, it, it's what I think lacks today in, in comedy. There's there's so much lull periods in in series now, and, and yeah. they can go a, a scene without anything funny happening. But there's always potential for a, a good gag or a good bit of farce in in the in Britus. You know, just very fast paced and and on and always. Yeah vary the flavors of the humor it's just really really good yeah the, yeah there's a lot of it and it? there's a mixture of slapstick a mixture of dry humor a mixture of everything in british empire and i think as well there's so much detail to the writing you know you know the flat roof extension for example the little plot details are what make it so kind of you know detailed and interesting to watch and believable laura and helen are having a cup of tea and donut or coffee and donut and i think what we mentioned last series about how they had pam as a character for a couple of episodes and then now she's kind of gone they really build the laura and helen relationship more um i think this is a really good start, sort of starting point because of the fact that you know they, they're now having to talk about the carol situation alongside the uh, discussion of sex in the marriage counseling appointment and then he sort of says you know gordon will call it like a temple of the body and laura's like says now that's what we got told this morning helen finds out that that's what he's been discussing with the staff about about the knickers and then this is when the revelation becomes isn't it it's uh it's actually the knickers that gordon revealed in the staff room are in fact helen's Yes. And, he, you know, Michael was the man that she was seeing in the previous series. You know, I saw I'd never see him again, especially after the disaster at Julie's party. So clearly he was at Julie's party as well as Gordon. Do you know what? There's an awful lot of Michaels in the British Empire, I've noticed, because series one, episode two, Laura's friend, 
who comes through the doors gets electrocuted. Helen's fancy man is Michael. And then of course we've got we've got Laura's fancy man, well, husband, who comes in series three and series five, Michael, T Farrell the third. So it's like Michael's the, the go-to name for the for the creators, I think. Did, did you notice a continuity error here, John? Or was it just me that that noticed? Because it's not very noticeable, but there's something that happens in it. No, I don't no, I haven't, sorry, no. It's yeah, so I don't know why, but I noticed this, and I've noticed it before when I watched this episode. But if you look when Helen's eating the donut, and um, there's a crumb that appears at the top of the lip, and then it disappears, then it reappears again, then it goes again, and it just yeah, it just drives me mad. I don't know why. I just it's something that I picked up on. But there we go. Oh, when you yeah, the the, the thing about filming, I think, because they film different the scene scenes again from different angles. Yeah, and sometimes continuity just doesn't flow so sometimes yeah you can be you can see things in one shot but then you can't see it from a different angle what yeah you could you you should be able to but you can't quite see it no i haven't noticed that but i will watch i will yeah. go back and try and see it again yeah there's a good example of that on the one foot in the grave commentary in one of the dvds where there's like an ornament in the background and i think one minute it's a chicken next minute it's a vase and it keeps changing or something like that that's funny <laughs> must be nice it's interesting though into how they kind of do these things when they're kind of making shows because obviously with one foot in the grave i learned that they have to when when victor's cooking he has to stand sideways and again in 2.4 children and other places where when they sat at a table they have to eat in a certain way or face so that the audience can see what they're doing and it's it's quite amusing when you look and you're thinking they never sit and eat tea like that in in real life they would never face that direction (laughs) yeah i mean these scenes in in the would have been in the in the leisure center on location i think yeah yeah the the canteen would be up top yeah nearer In the good old Ringwood, yeah. The fact that she wrote him a message saying to meet him upstairs oh, yeah. and then she slipped it into his pocket and he ignored it. Basically, Laura puts two and two together and thinks that he she did go up there and he, and she thinks he met someone else, obviously relating to the Carol situation. Yeah, so so now we're led to believe that this guy, Michael, went upstairs to meet Helen for some sex, but then instead met Carol Parkinson and that's what we're led to believe so far, isn't it? Britis and Linda enter Britis's office and Colin is there and I love this again more great visual humor from Michael Burns who plays Colin he's now stapling in his trousers together <laughs> and he's got a patch on his eye well from when the the women poked him with the broomstick and, and then obviously at this scene this is when Britis chats to Linda but he doesn't know who Gavin is up to no good with and he's asking you know has Gavin ever made a pass at you Linda by this point Colin's obviously left left the room and he gives Linda a T-shirt to change into. Yeah, it's a kind of he's, he's again using Linda as bait this time, um, yeah. and to yeah, I mean it's 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 very sneaky this kind of stuff. I mean, I think we all have experience where a manager tries to find some information out, and he almost wants someone to grasp on the other yeah. members of staff, and it's a, such an awkward position to be in because I think we all deep down want to get on with our colleagues as best as possible and so when you have a manager who's trying to play sneaky games i mean in this case gordon i don't think he realizes it but there's some managers who are so sociopathic and narcissistic they probably can easily yeah there's nothing worse than a snitch is they nobody likes a snitch or or a teacher's pet i think that they're the they're the, they're the worst aren't they so he wants this he wants linda to wear this t-shirt and um, because we soon learn that it's a bit bugged so he can kind of listen to where she goes and you know try and Boyle Gavin's plan, you know, when when, it, when, he's, when she's chatting to him and she's obviously in Julie's office. It's kind of, it's referred to as Julie's office, but I guess it's not really an office, is it? I mean, she does get a proper office, I think, series five onwards when, um, when the, after the centre's burnt down. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's kind of like, a, it's not really an office, is it, that Julie's got? It's just outside 
Britta's door, really, isn't it? Colin's there, and then Linda changes into it. And then Mr. Britta's comes out. He's like, have you been there the whole time, Colin? Yes. Yeah, just, it's completely in his own world, Colin. Again, if it was any other character, you'd think this is a bit dodgy. But again, Colin's harmless, and he's not really looking at Linda for sexual reasons. He's just in his own world. You probably can't even see her anyway. He's only got, he's only got one eye at this point, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that he expl- of Gordon takes him into the office and explains that he's bugged the t-shirt just yeah. so that she can f- she can go into the staff room and find out what's going on. And, and he says it's a ruse I used successfully in Aldershot to root out sexism in the badminton team. I mean, again, very modern thinking. I mean, there's probably not many managers back in the 90s who would have thought about sexual harassment or sexism or anything going on within a workplace. So I think, again, I do think there's a lot of dialogue that Briss says that she has a modern sensibility, a modern outlook that feels more relevant now in a way yeah it is like a lot of the values and stuff although british is very old-fashioned you know in many ways is also quite modern you know in terms of sticking up for and getting away women's rights making sure there's no like you say sexism in the badminton team and stuff and yeah it is it, you know with tim and gavin there's, there's a lot of stuff in the british empire which makes it modern and, and timeless in a way and then yeah he put he sort of listens to the um the headphones um, and then he gets told that there's two people from the press, two reporters who want to see him. Uh, and he asks Colin to tell him to wait. And I like the way he says, good grief, the things women talk about. Yeah, sometimes in shows, it's what you can't hear, what you don't know has been said that makes it funny. I think yeah. um, Kingdom of Appearances is the master of that when Hyacinth is on the phone and the point you don't hear who's on the other end of the line. Yeah, 100%. I agree. It's, it's yeah, And it's always the reaction of the, the other person on the receiving end that's... Uh, on on the character we can see that's always funny yeah. and you're absolutely right i think it's it's like in horror really it's sometimes what you don't see can be scarier can be funnier you know oh, yes. texas it's chainsaw nice. massacre is the master at what you what you doesn't what you don't see leads to the imagination which can be 10 times worse and then we go to the staff room this is a, a great scene between gavin and linda so Britus is listening to linda and gavin's conversation and gavin's really upset because he asked if tim had anything special for supper tonight and he said why not ask one of your girlfriends? It's been really horrid to me all day. Gordon Briss could have found out what was going on. You know, I think he just doesn't quite get it. I think he just realises Tim's neurotic and but he's yeah. a good friend, but he just doesn't put two two together, does he? I just love it when Tim walks in and he sees Gavin with Linda. So quite clearly he thinks something's going on. And then he goes, no, no, don't worry about me. You just continue enjoying yourself. And, yeah. and, and that's it. it. He's just really upset. And Linda is is comforting him. Um, and he's, and then when we go back to the office and Gordon's listening in, he's like saying through the thing, I can't help it. I feel wound up. No, Gavin. Well, go on. And obviously he's referring to, he's, he's got a cigarette suggesting that Linda tries it. And then, and she says, um, I'd like to try it. And then, but what if Mr. Britters catches us? He won't. Come on. I've got a place. And then cuts to Britters, got you, sunshine. And he rushes out the office. It's, it's like a whirlwind, isn't it? Of everything yeah. that's coming together. And the fact that when he leaves the office, Gordon, two the two reporters come in. They mention they want to talk to the secretary, just a quick word and a photograph. Colin asks um, Julie to come in. And Julie, I, I love this scene because I think yeah, I do. earlier in the episode, you think Julie's quite okay about everything that, that happened. And she, she, you think she would almost bask in the attention. But actually, what, what we learn is much more, I think, well, just goes to show that she doesn't mind it, but the attention to a certain thing, but actually it's on her terms. 
Yeah, she, she's not a flat character here, and that's what we see. We see more of Julie. She's not just brash and loud or wanting attention, taking her clothes off to get reporters. We see here there's actually a lot more to her character because uh, obviously she's overly nice to the reporters. Mm. And uh, in a fake nice vo voice, she's coming in saying, okay, what sort of shot would you like? Uh, I thought you want me sitting naked behind the desk with a caption like, Julie, the topless type. They're going, that's very good. I'll go back to my office and take my clothes off now, shall I? And then she comes back in. Of course, I might just be joking. And there's a chance when you walk in, I won't be naked and be standing behind the door ready to drop a filing cabinet on your head. But I suppose that's a risk you people are willing to take. Yeah, very, very good comeback there. Gobby, but not gobby, but, but well, I, well, maybe a bit gobby, but also just very sharp-tongued. A tough northerner. Yeah, tough northerner, <laughs> very tough. You know, the fact that she isn't going to let them just take advantage of the fact what happened the following Saturday, the previous Saturday. She's just going to do it when she on her terms, as I say. Definitely. Jeffrey Jew plays the reporter and he reminds me of the reporter in One Foot in the Algarve. You know, they, they feature length episode One Foot in yes. the Grave. That kind of it's the same kind of seediness, isn't it? Like that that awful character that gets under your skin. Well, it's interesting because there have been the, the, the thing I always know. I was watching a, a documentary recently about um, Paulie Yates. It was a very eye-opening. When whenever you see about the the press in the nineteen nineties, I also watched the documentary channel for about George Michael, mm. and it was interesting when you see about just how ruthless and 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 not. I mean, ruthless probably putting it how absolutely immoral and corrupt these people yeah. were. The Fleet Street, the the sort of phone hacking and the news of the world and everything. I mean. It's 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 crazy when you think how how twisted they were, and whenever you see a, a journalist in a um, in these early nineties comedies, there was a, a fantastic Victoria Wood film she did for Screen One in the early nineties called Pat and Margaret, and it was I was a journalist in that as well, and there's a real ruthlessness to that character. You know, it definitely was of the time. Yeah, um, that these people just didn't care who they hurt. As long as they got a good story and got millions of people um buying the papers, then getting the money, it, that's all that mattered. And I, I I think while toxicness has gone on to social media, I think perhaps the press is I don't think they're perfect, but they're better than they, they seemed than they were in the nineties, it seems. Definitely not <laughs> portrayed as heroes in sitcom land, that's for sure. <laughs> not at all. They're 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 vile, I think. Uh, it was known for Jeffrey Jew, who plays the reporter as well. He was in Fever Pitch, which I've not seen, 1997. The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, 1992. Mm -hmm. He was in The Sweeney as well, which was one of my dad's favourites, 1974. My dad's loved as well. It's definitely a dad show, isn't it? Yeah, The Sweeney, The Saint, you know, all those. <laughs> yes, professionals. Yeah, listeners, are you Sweeney fans out there? Any Sweeney fans, let us know. Send us an email. <laughs> Sweeney and uh, The Saint and all the other classics. Uh, the Prisoner, that's another one. I need to finish The Prisoner, actually. I love The Prisoner. That's, uh, yeah, I need to finish that one as well. I started it. That's another premise that you'd think, you know, I mean, they, I know they remade it, but, you know, that's that's another timeless premise, isn't it? The Prisoner oh, yeah. is just so, I think, ahead of its time. It's so weird and just, yeah. 100%. I love the fact that Colin here, just just puts his foot in it completely um it's probably just well britain's prince britain's worries about publicity he's worried this place might get a reputation as a knocking shop and yeah like, does he it's like the, the ill ears prick over that i mean like does he really 
Um, yes. And then he's like, yes, I drilled the spy holes. Now it's proper landing Brits in it here. You know, he's telling the reporters there's a spy hole in the changer room, in the shower that is bugged Linda to, and I love this bit as well. When, when they pick up the actual headset that Brits uses to listen to Linda. Yeah. And uh, they can obviously still hear Linda and, and Gavin. And he said he wanted to listen to her and Gavin doing it on his tape recorder. And then the reporter puts headphones to the ears. Ah, you can't beat a cigarette, can you? And I love this bit. He looks disappointed at the cameraman and says, I think we missed that one. <laughs> For any children watching that, they just won't get it. But of course, it's referring to a cigarette after sex, which some people do. You know, it's one, it's a really, uh, it's, it's kind of a, old you know it's it, it, it's good joke for the adults watching it yeah that's it and you know i always disagree with any view out there that the british empire is more skewered towards children because obviously there's a lot of adult jokes in this as much as these jokes for children as well oh it is and actually watching it now i i appreciate more just how much it talks about real grown-up issues oh definitely yeah you know there's so much the depth and the stuff that it covers you know personal depression suicide you know problems with relationships you know it, it tackles some big subject matters as well as some silly stuff as well so there's, there's something for everybody it's a it's a british buffet and homelessness from what we're just about to discuss yes. the next scene i yeah. mean how many people how many women can relate to what we're about to find out yeah, so back back to the cupboard, uh, the resource cupboard, and Carol is with Britus because uh, Britus that yeah, so Britus is ch charging down the down the hallway, thinking he's going to catch Gavin and Linda in the cupboard, but opening the door, he reveals it's Carol, and you know, this is the place where she's been living. It turns out it's her nighty, it's her bed, and it transpires that she's been living inside the centre. And I think this is a great scene because we do see the caring side to Gordon Britus, don't we? Here, yeah, I I I really like um. The, the 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 bit when they're sat on the bed and Gordon just looks so concerned for her and and Carol's kind of crying and tearful but in a typical you know way of going, yeah um and then I like it when he's asked her well what have you done with the baby you haven't left him in the drawing reception have you Carol and then he just turns to the the the, the bedside draw and just goes, oh my god and then she's like we like like sit at the drawing I'm he's sort of used to it now. She, she said, he's like saying, why didn't you tell me? I was afraid you'd throw me out. Throw you out, Carol. Who, who do you think I am? Sorry, Mr. Britus. Of course I'd throw you out. He's thinking of the health and safety regulations. Like what if their if place caught fire and you were both burnt to death? As a manager, I'd be responsible. Nice bit of foreshadowing there as well, isn't they? <laughs> oh, 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 definitely. And the fact she says, you know, it was so warm above the boiler. Again, it goes back to what I've said before about the cow. The whole situation with Carol is fundamentally not funny as a as a storyline but because it's such a whirlwind of different things going on everything so heightened all for maximum sort of effect that in a way but i do think that yes pathos is great in a comedy but i think sometimes the darker ideas in a comedy and the more tragic ideas in a comedy if they're not not necessarily played for laughs but mm. they have humor within the around it it actually is more impactful in a way yeah, definitely and i think one of the strengths of um fagan and norris's writing uh richard and andrew's writing is with the british empire there's, there's a big thumping heart in it with series one to five there's so much you know heart and emotion and depth in the characters and, and warmth and i think it's probably why british empire is one of my, is my favorite sitcom because it's got these touching moments like this and we see here britta saying that he'd lend carol some money i could find you a flat 
If worse comes to the worst, you can stay in my garage. All you have to do is tell me, Carol. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he says he'll go to my office and sort something out. I mean, how many people go to work and not be really honest about what's going on? And if they yeah. are, how many bosses would, I mean, especially in the, in this day and age with the cost of living crisis, how many would, couldn't do anything? And, and, you know, a, a good manager, a good boss of a company will help their employers as best they can and support them. Yeah. Difficult things. And the fact that when he, I love it when she says, I sometimes feel like I'm a bit of a burden to you. Going back to what I said before, I, I, I about, you know, I think on the whole, it's interesting that it's, that the, the, um, the council has played not for last, but with the sort of heightened rea- world of, of the British Empire. But I do think that this is a really touching moment. I agree because yeah. he, he puts his arm around her in a very friendly, almost yeah. brotherly way. Yeah. And, and says, um, you're not a burden to me, Carol. When you joined, you stopped being a burden. You're part of a team. Remember what I said about being a team? Family, caring for each other, people helping with each other's problems. These aren't just words. It's what I believe in here. Helping people, the community caring for its lesser brethren. And I like the fact that when uh, she says, you know, you're, you're really a very kind man, Mr. Brittus. And he says, I've always wanted to do, help people. Ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to be as happy. I wanted people to be as happy as I was. You see, Carol? I've always had this dream and it's always happens with Britters where he start, he wants to descend into the, yeah. the dream monologue. And then there's always what I do, I do like about all any kind of pathos in comedy is when it's so warm and then it's followed by something very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. A, a lot of good comedies will kind of interject and flip between comedy and drama successfully. And, you know, either comedy will be undercut with drama or vice versa. And Fergan and Norris are just um, really, really good at, at doing that. And I guess here it's it's a good example of how Gordon Brittus has grown as a character from series one, because in series one, you didn't really get this kind of Gordon Brittus. You got an annoying manager, whereas this, he is annoying still, but he's got heart and he's got kindness. And Chris Barry is really good at playing these dramatic moments and touching moments. And I think with it being in the cupboard as well, it makes it more intimate. And I do like the the kind of sudden sort of bur- as the doors open and then yeah. the, the two reporters come with the camera um and i like the this the, the um transition to the next scene which is in the paper and it's a really funny black and white picture of like mr british and carol almost like um rabbits caught in a headline headlight but, you know he has this look at his like his, his jaw kind of pulls in his his mouth his he um it's hard to how to explain it the way his mouth is yeah what you mean yeah and then obviously like sucking lemons and then um carol's got her face it looks like she looks like the shock emoji and it's just yeah. a really funny visual of the two of them uh you know and the headline in it is love nest scandal so the thing that's so clever is as with all these plots is the way that they plant the seed early on and how gorn's trying to prevent these scandals trying to get the trying to prevent the scandals going out into the um into the public conscience yeah he then tries all these methods which are so questionable despite the fact that he has these strong morals and then eventually everything he dreads happens happens and yeah. not only does it happen he's central to it and he yeah. becomes the face of the scandal it's just so beautifully put together and yeah it's wonderful wonderful richard and andrew you guys are geniuses Fantastic. Yeah, the way all the different strings of the plot just kind of get tied together so perfectly and neatly and the way the seeds are planted, you can see the details of the writing and the scripts. It's just absolutely fantastic and it is so well written. And, you know, this is the why we're doing this podcast. It's to celebrate the show and just give it the credit it deserves because there's so many sitcoms out there that 
are quite overrated. You know, there's a lot of sitcoms out there that get a lot of airings, a lot of repeats and stuff. And this aren't as nowhere near as well written as the British Empire, in my opinion. I agree completely. Um, and I think there's always a really great ending as well, and always a good final scene. And yeah, you know, most of them happen with um between uh Gordon and Helen. So she leaves Whitbury Health Centre um, saying that the, the appointment's been cancelled because he didn't think there was much point in marriage cancelling when one person wasn't committed and she thinks because he's read the paper. <laughs> you know, she said, he said, didn't you tell him it was a misunderstanding? She said, I did try. Tell me I was too naive. Yeah. Um, and he said, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything like that. Not with Carol anyway. You're the only one I'm interested in, Helen. You know that I do. Why do people jump to conclusions just because of a photograph? And then she, he says, um, I don't think we missed much anyway in today's session. Sex, not much he could have taught us in there. And she said, what? And she's like, no, she said, you're too modest, my darling. I always say there's an animal in all of us, but more than most in my little Helen. <laughs> and I, and it's the way he's building up to this reveal is so nice. And yeah. she, she's just like, you don't remember New Year's Eve, Julie's party. I always knew you were a passionate creature, but woo. And then eventually like, what are you talking about, Gordon? He says, the tiger suit. And I love the, the audience reaction to yeah. the, the, to it. And they, they, they are in shock. Helen's face drops. Um, and then it's like our little assignation upstairs, the little note you sneaked into my blazer pocket. Oh God. Uh, do you know the most exciting thing about it? You never said a word, not during, not since. It's our little secret. Just one of those magical moments. Yeah. it's such a multi-layered wonderful episode this it really is good series two it's, it's just brilliant isn't it the arcs are fantastic and i just think the way i mean it's it's kind of a bit it, it could be you could always say it's soapy but it isn't it's just so great farce and great misunderstanding and great comedy story lines yeah it's, um, it, it's well done isn't it because you've got like that kind of that slightly soapy but not quite so you can still watch yeah. the episodes in any order you want but there's still like a through line as well and i think the continuity is great as well like with obviously gavin smoking and stuff which comes up later on in this series and again is another central plot point you know that's it's just good continuity and then and good writing yeah absolutely i think it you know it started we've had a good first two episodes um to get you into series two and it does build it really keeps you it keeps you kind of hooked with it with the fact that we have a story arc and that going from episode to episode um more so than we had in the first series so i think i think it's a really strong two episodes we've, we've looked at so far it's yeah series one's good but this is definitely a step up from series one i'd say on all fronts i think you know, i think everyone settles into the roles more i think you know harriet thorpe even plays an even better version of carol because she's a little less unhappy in this series i think i think she's still teary but she was more kind of bleak in series one whereas she's kind of a little lighter in this series i think series two so five questions british quiz question one who is being sick in a bucket in reception so quite an easy one to start with and if you don't get that one listeners then unsubscribe straight away no only joking don't do that <laughs> so uh, what's the name of the newspaper british holds up in the staff room okay now john did mention the name of this so question two what's the name of the newspaper british holds up in the staff room you've also got question three which is what's the name of the man helen has had a fling with okay so she mentions the name of the person who you know, she had a little dalliance with, and a nick has ended up in the back of the sofa in Britta's office. But what's the name of that man? It's a name used a fair few times in the British Empire by the writers. Who really had sex with Carol? 
at the New Year's Eve party. So quite an easy one. So who really had sex with Carol at the New Year's Eve party? That is question four. Question five is Brutus and Carol are caught in the cupboard, but what headline does it make? Okay, so we get a flash of the, the particular newspaper and we get a headline, but what is that headline of Carol and Gordon in the cupboard? I think I've got about definitely four, maybe five. Sounds good. Let's see if you beat John then, listeners. We've got question number one. Who has been sick in a bucket in reception? We know this one, don't we, John? Carol. Of course, yes. And what's the name of the newspaper Britta's holds up in the staff room? I, is it the Whitby Chronicles? That's it, yeah. The Whitby Chronicles. Oh, Chronicle. is it? That's yeah, classic. yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Whitby Chronicle. So well, if you got that, because it's a hard question. What's the name of the man Helen has had a fling with? It's... Michael. Yes, Michael. One of many Michaels that are mentioned in Britta's. Who really had sex with Carol John? Who was it? It was Gordon Britta's himself. I can't believe it. Woo. And Brittus and Carol are caught in the cupboard. What headline does it make? Love Nest Scandal. It does, yeah. Love Nest Scandal. Nice work. So, yeah, toss them up. Hope you did well, listeners. Another Brittus quiz will be coming at you next week. What episode are we chatting about, John? Uh, it is an inspector calls. So, the inspector visits Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre. And figures of visiting figures are down. And a pigeon is in the gymnasium and as ever you can stay in touch with British Empire fans and connect with everyone on social media you can email us at britishempirepod at gmail.com you can follow the Facebook group the British Empire Appreciation Society you can follow the fan page on Instagram and Twitter which is at British Fan maybe don't give anyone a note to go no. upstairs at a party in the no. dark you never know quite where it's going to lead to, do you? So, yeah, watch out with those notes. Mm-hmm.